Podcast. The Gospel According to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Alrighty, good morning again. It's time to get started with the Word of God. As you recall, when we started the book of Matthew, we started in Matthew 3 to save the Christmas narratives for Christmas time. And guess what? We just finished the Sermon on the Mount, and so it's Christmas time. We're going to head back to Matthew chapter 1, not before asking the Lord for his blessing. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, what a joy to go to your word at the most wonderful time of the year for us who believe and know the truth that you became one of us. That's an awesome thing to realize that you poured yourself into a human womb and the God-man came to dwell among us for the purpose of redeeming us and giving us a hope and a future a way to be reconciled back to the living God and to live forever. We thank you, God, for these wonderful truths. And help us now as we take a look at the genealogy, something that's kind of unique to do here. In the first chapter of Matthew, we ask your blessing in Christ's name. Amen. So with the rise of medical technology has come a great interest in DNA testing. I wonder how many of you have done a little bit of that. Raise your hand. Okay, so quite a few of you. There are a variety of companies and a vast database uh, out there uh, that can help you discover Uh, your ethnicity and build your family tree is very, very popular. Struck a chord in the general population out there. That's why there's so many options to choose from. So many companies. And here's a small sampling of the companies that offer you help building your family tree. Ancestry, of course. 23andMe. 24Genetics. Family Tree DNA. Gene by Gene, Genotech, Helix, Igenia, MyHeritage, Weeby Genes. <laughs> I made the last one up. <laughs> because if I were doing it, that's what I would have done, because it gets a response, right? And so, yeah. Why so popular? Because human beings by nature like self-discovery. We love personality tests. We want to know, are we a one, two, or a three, the latest thing, you know, or if we are an ENFJ or whatever. We just love that kind of stuff to learn more about ourselves. And family trees and ancestry, we learn where we come from who our ancestors were, what their lives were like, and what that might say about us. Now, 
in uh, every family, there's a family tree, except, of course, for Adam and Eve. Theirs was a rather short little tree, wasn't it? And uh, there are things in our family trees probably that we would take delight in knowing and other things that are less pleasant to know. Uh, Even God has a family tree if we're talking about the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who became uh, flesh and blood and dwelt among us. He had a human mother born Uh, uh, conceived of the Holy Spirit, but he was born as a human baby, fully human, fully God, the God-man. But on his human side, he has a family tree. Now, knowing the details of Jesus' family tree, the Son of God has a family uh, that he's blood-related to, it answers some of the questions that we have Uh, about our own ancestral lines. Who were Jesus' ancestors? What were their lives like? What kind of people were they? Uh, And what does Jesus' family tree say about him and his purpose for coming? The answer to that question is quite a lot. He picked those people, and he became those people by blood through Mary, of course, and he does have a lineage through Joseph as well, which we're going to take a look at uh, this morning. And this is why Matthew begins his book with a list of 42 names right from the opening. No, that's his introduction to the gospel is a long list of names, which tells us really uh, what Christmas is all about. So before I read the long list of names, and I'm going to do that for a couple reasons. One is there's unbelievable encouraging truth in that list. And number two, I don't think anybody here has heard anybody read the entire list and preach on a list of 42 names. (laughs) So I just thought I'd do something different uh, for the Christmas season. Uh, A lot of people just start at verse 18. A lot of Western modern readers do that. They consider a list of 42 names boring. Uh, But Jesus' original uh, audience, uh, to them, 42 names that started out the gospel was breathtaking and crucial and important. And uh, the Old Testament gave two men promises. So before we dive in, a couple helpful things. Abraham and David... Abraham was told that from him, from his body, would come essentially the savior of the world. And then, uh, what was it, a thousand years later, King David was told, who was related to Abraham as well, that he would, from his own body, biologically blood-related to him, uh, would come the Messiah. And so we have two men, and the Jews knew this, And in fact, remember when blind Bartimaeus cries out, son of David, son of David, Uh, though there were, what, 42 generations of great-grandson, right? Uh, The Jews were waiting for documentation. First and foremost, he better have the papers. And so for Matthew, Matthew's a he can't constrain himself. He's got the papers. He had to be born related to Abraham, related to to David, he, in other words, he had to be in, he had to have their last name. He had to be a 
Abram's son. He had to be a David's son. And as Luke will point out, he had to be an Adam's son as well to be our Messiah. And so Matthew just can't wait to tell you, here it is, here's this pedigree right here. And we go ho-hum, but the Jews went, whoa. This is somebody we need to pay attention to. Now, uh, I think it'll be helpful just to have a little chart before we dive into the 42 names. I got something to make it a lot easier for you. Take a look. Now, these three columns here are going to divide up the list of 42 names and make it kind of easier to understand. You've got Abraham to David. You've got David in the second column. You've got David to what is called the the captivity or the exile. That's the royal line, the list of kings, which stops at the end of the second, the middle column there, because King Nebuchadnezzar came in from modern-day Iraq and uh, deported the Jews as God's uh, divine spanking. God put Israel on time out. He removed them from the promised land. He gave them a lot of years to get in line. And he said, look, if you don't get in line, you can't have your cake and eat it too. I'll take you out of the promised land. If you start acting like the pagans around you, fine. No promised land. So he took them out for 70 years. But the scribes by the Holy Spirit didn't Stop paying attention to the line all the way through the time when Israel had no kings because they were dispersed for at least for 70 years. And that last list there that goes all the way down to Joseph and Mary uh, have to, to do with during the time when Israel was no longer, uh, they were occupied. After 70 years, they did come back under Ezra and Nehemiah, right? But, and they kept making the list, but none of those guys in the third list are kings. They would have been kings, which is amazing to me because you go down to Joseph and did Joseph know he was a great grandson of all the kings? He's in the bloodline of the kings and uh, Mary as well. Mary is in the bloodline of David. And, um, and so uh, these are the things that will help you and me take a look at this. And the finally, uh, before we dive in and for our sermon time, we are going to take a look at four women who are listed in the genealogy. Now, that's something that Jewish genealogies didn't do. They didn't mention any women, right? So not only uh, is it striking that Matthew says, here are four women who are the grandmothers of Jesus. They are the ancestresses of Jesus' blood. Not only are they mentioned as women, but all four have sordid reputations and controversy attached to them. So uh, that's going to say something. And we are going to read the list, 1 through 17, and then come back to the four women and make four points about Christmas to hear the encouraging things it says about Jesus and his purpose for coming and, and, and those who come to him and faith. Are you ready for the names? Now, 
We'll start out with the first slide there. Now, if you are expecting a baby, uh, you are in the right service because you can choose from 42 Bible names right here. All you have to do is be able to pronounce them <laughs> and then understand what they mean. Now, some are very easy and some not so much. So uh, let's see. Here we go. A record. This is how he opens the book. You know, the other three, they have their exciting ways, right? But this is how Matthew opens it. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And every Jew who ever heard that went, okay, I'm all ears. You see? The son of David, check, the son of Abraham. Let's read. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Those are the fathers of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. Now Judah, going down the line to the Messiah, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, but Perez is the one, whose mother was Tamar. There's our first gal. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. That's woman number two. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of King Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Interesting that he drops her name. Then he goes on to say, now we're in the second column, the royal line. King Solomon was the father of King Rehoboam. Some of these kings were absolutely good, but most of them were absolutely wicked. And their blood to Jesus. King Rehoboam, Solomon's boy, the father of King Abijah. King Abijah, the father of King Asa. Asa, the father of King Jehoshaphat. Wow, did you know that King Jehoshaphat is an ancestor of Jesus? King Jehoshaphat, the father of King Joram. King Joram, the father of King Uzziah. King Uzziah, the father of King Jotham. King Jotham, the father of King Ahaz. King Ahaz, the father of King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, the father of King Manasseh, the most wicked man to have ever lived, who repented at the last moment of his life. And God comments in the affirmative. So you will see him. Blood related to Jesus. King Manasseh, the father of King Amon, King Amon, the father of King Josiah, and King Josiah, the father of King Jeconiah, who also goes by Jehoachin, and his brothers at the time when Nebuchadnezzar came in and took them all captive to modern-day Iraq. He goes on with the third column now during the dispersal, at least for 70 years. After the exile to Iraq, King Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the pastor when they came back under Ezra and Nehemiah, pastor of the temple there. Zerubbabel, the father of uh, Abiud. Abiud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Eliad. 
Eliad, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Christ is the Greek form of the Hebrew Messiah, the one, the anointed one, the one God, <laughs> the chosen way to be saved. Okay, thank you, Spencer, for all of that. So immediately, we're just going to go back to our four women. Uh, one writer, you can put the text up there from verses 7 to 11, and those names uh, that are going to speak a word to us about why Jesus came and chose this family as his own. Uh, one writer called these women the four X-rated grannies of the Messiah. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I told Pastor Adam, Pastor Adam said, but in these days, it would be PG-13. PG <laughs> yeah, so uh, anyway, we've got now... God making a statement for sure. Note takers, what are these women doing in the pedigree of the Son of God? And so Tamar, number one, Jesus comes to give us hope. Rahab, number two, Jesus comes to provide rescue. Number three, Ruth, Jesus comes to bring us joy. And number four, Bathsheba, Jesus comes to take away our sins. So let's dive in. There's a couple remarks I want to make about the list, and then we'll talk about Tamar. Uh, there were a couple uh, misunderstandings the Jewish people had about Messiah. Number one was that he was just Israel's Messiah. We see evidence of all of that. And, and, and in spite of the fact that, that God was very clear in the scriptures, even to their progenitor, the, the father of the Jewish race, Abraham. He told Abraham, uh, who is going to be born through you is going to be uh, the savior of the whole world. He says that to him right there at the jump. And, and even uh, through Isaiah, who said, I am making Israel light to the rest of the world. Gentile just means nations, uh, non-Jews. And so Jesus is now, uh, these four Gentile women are showing us that Jesus is not just Israel's Messiah, but he is the savior of the world, the savior of the sinning Gentiles as well as sinning Jews. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God has room in his house for whosoever. This is what the genealogy is telling you. And of course, uh, in Jewish thinking, if we keep God's laws, then we'll enter into his kingdom. But you'll notice that Sarah's not highlighted, Rachel's not named, and Rebecca's not mentioned. Why? Because he's not highlighting, uh, look at the nobility. He's highlighting, look at the brokenness, look at the sinfulness, look at the shame, look at the falling short, look at how they could never measure up. Look at the hopelessness. That's what he's highlighting. And he says, Jesus, saying, Jesus came for sinners. This is the point. Gentile sinners, to join himself to the sinful race, to take on their sin as the brother of humanity, of sinful humanity, which might explain why he got baptized in a baptism of repentance. What is the sinless son of God who has no sin, doing repenting and with John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, this doesn't make any sense. 
I should be baptized by you. You're sinless. And he says, let it be done for now to fulfill all righteousness. Meaning he's going to become our sins. He entered in blood to those people, to us. And then he'll take the sins and go to Calvary and deal with them once and for all. Let's talk about Tamar. She's in your verse there. You see her. Tamar is a bizarre story because Jesus came to die for people who have bizarre stories <laughs> and shameful ones at that. And so Tamar is a story of hope, a desperate woman fighting for her life. She is helpless and she is hopeless. So the story begins with Judah. Um, Judah is in the line to the Messiah and uh, he chooses, he has a son. He marries a Canaanite and has a son named Ur. And he arranges a marriage with another Canaanite named Tamar. I mean, after all, he married one, and so he wants one for his son, Ur. So Ur uh, is a wicked dude, the Bible says in there in Genesis 38, and God takes him out because of his wickedness. So one son, gone. So there's this Jewish custom that's very important for widows to uh, be provided for, to have an heir, uh, to have a place of standing among the people. I, I mean, it just was, it was even codified into the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 25. It's called uh, leveret marriage to save a widow, right? So a brother had to produce an heir through the, his brother, his uh, late brother's uh, wife. And so that was morally and legally the thing to do, and there was an obligation. So the next son in line was named Onan. And Onan accepted. His father Judah said, hey, you have to do what's right. And Onan <laughs> said he would do it, but he used her for his own gratification, but didn't produce the heir on purpose. But it didn't stop him from using her for his own sinful delight. And so how did she feel? Wow, she knew exactly what was happening. You're not doing what you were supposed to be doing. So God took him out. Yeah, put him on an earlier flight somewhere, either north or... <laughs> <laughs> north or south, and in this case, I think it was south. Um, and so two boys down, he has one son left, so he knows what to do. The one son who's left is named Shelah, and dad is a little hesitant. He sees a pattern, right? He's connecting the dots. I gave her one son, boom. I gave her the next son, boom. Uh, you know, I've only got one son left. So he says, oh, when he's old enough, you know, he'll be your husband temporarily and produce an heir. Well, of course, he turned 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. Oh, what's happening, dad? Well, dad's not going to budge. And so meanwhile, Tamar stuck, alone, helpless, in poverty, kind of shamed and everything because everybody knows. Well, well, why isn't this happening? So Judah's wife, dad's wife, dies and after morning, he heads out to a party. 
He's going sheep shearing celebration, and that's a party while Tamar's home by herself, still mourning and still crying and still looking for some bread to eat, while he goes out to party and celebrate and get drunk and do his thing, and that's her last straw. Oh, she's mad, and she's smart in a worldly sense. So she says, he needs to give me what I need to live. And so she goes ahead of him to the party. And she puts on a veil, as most of you know the story. And she acts and, and, and uh, pretends to be a prostitute. And Judah falls for it. And Judah produces an heir. Twins. Yeah, double trouble there. And so she becomes pregnant and the heir is in the bloodline because Judah's in the bloodline. And so when the village finds out a few months later, she starts to show and word gets back to Judah. Your former daughter-in-law is pregnant and he gets enraged with his hypocritical self-righteousness and says, drag her out to the, to, to the court square and burn her at the stake. And so they come to get her, and she says, oh, would you please, I, I know who did this to me. Uh, can you please take this staff with his initials on the staff that he left behind, and would you just let him know this is the guilty party who did this to me? So they grab the staff, and they show it to him, and says, she says, this is the guy who did the deed. And he looks at it and goes, right. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good, but you stole it from me. <laughs> she, he did say rot row. <laughs> rot row. Those initials looked fairly familiar because they were his. And he says, she's more righteous than I am. I've been doing something that I should not be doing. I withheld an heir from a broken, oppressed, abused, isolated, shamed woman. And so uh, she gives birth to someone who will be in the bloodline of Jesus, making her in the bloodline of the Son of God. To go from that bizarre story to an ancestry of the living God, Whew. that's a Christmas miracle in itself. And so here's what the genealogy is saying. An unlikely ancestress, yes, rejected, abused, unloved, and abandoned. That is for whom Jesus came. Jesus will be called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Oh, with almost pride in heaven, around the throne, revolu revolution, <laughs> Revelation chapter 5 has them singing, Behold, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and all of his sin, and Tamar, and all of that. This is Jesus. He was born to bring hope to the hopeless. So next we have, fast-forwarding 500 years, a story of rescue. Let's talk about Rahab. Now, 
God makes a nation of Judah and his brothers. They all have children. Uh, they are Jacob's name is changed, right, to Israel. So all of their Israel's children and their children are called children of Israel because they're all related to a, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their father of the 12 nations, right? And they become 70 people. When they become 70, uh, there's a great famine. They're all <laughs> starving to death. They move down to Egypt, as most of you know. While they're in Egypt, they start to multiply and become prosperous. God's blessing is upon them. And uh, Pharaoh says, hey, gets a little insecure and says, uh, I don't like what I'm seeing here. Uh, let's make them our slaves. And so they, put, they enslaved the Jews for 400 years. You know the story. Moses is raised up as the deliverer. Joshua, the apprentice, God busts them out of Egypt and they head back home, a, secu a securitous route. That just means they went around and around in circles. And there's a twist in the story. They're coming back to the promised land, but the promised land is inhabited by wicked, wicked people called Canaanites. And the first stop to possess the land is a place called Jericho with walls all around it. It's a doomed city, but it brings us to the next gal in the bloodline. Inside these walls is a sinful woman named Rahab. She didn't need to pretend to be a prostitute because sadly she was the real deal. She ran a little business of ill repute right through the gates, right to the right there. And you'll remember the story in Joshua chapter 2. And it spreads to chapter 6. So there's an attempt by Joshua and Caleb to sneak into the city to spy it out because the Israel's on the other side of the Jordan just waiting for the, the command from God to evict these wicked people uh, from their promised land. And so Joshua comes in. Uh, they're hiding out at Rahab's house, which is ingenious. What a place to hide out. Who's going to be looking for them there? But their cover is blown because they figure out they're not using the services. And so word gets out. And the king of Jericho sends soldiers and word to Rahab, the prostitute, who is the grandmother of Jesus Christ. Send them out, Rahab. And Rahab says, what, what? Oh, they left a long time ago. They came in. Yeah, true. But they went that away. <laughs> and, the, and the officers went off. And she's hiding them on the roof. And she says to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. And great fear has fallen on all of us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you Jews. We have heard that the Lord dried up the Red Sea for you guys. When you came out of Egypt, you completely uh, destroyed the armies on the way here. Uh, we are out of our minds with fear because of you, she says, because of you and the God of heaven who is with you. Now swear to me that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you that my parents, my siblings, and my family will be spared. And Joshua says, we swear. We swear, put a scarlet cord in your window and hide everybody in that room. If they're not in that room, the deal's off. And so he says, not a hair on their head will perish. So God dries up the Jordan, which is noted in the scriptures in Joshua chapter 3, that it was at flood stage. 
And God dries it up and makes a path for Israel to go over the Jordan. And if you cross the Jordan right there where Jesus was baptized, by the way, uh, you will be find yourself in Jericho right there. When we visit that site, you're in Jericho. And so Jericho is there. They blow the trumpets, they march around, and the walls come tumbling down. And Rahab the prostitute running a brothel was spared and assimilated then into the tents of Israel. And guess what happens? Uh, she meets a, and marries a nice Jewish boy named Salmon. And they have a baby boy, and they name him Boaz, who is a Bible hero. This a former prostitute. And so, I mean, seriously, she becomes great-grandmother, just great-grandmother, of King David. King David's great-grandma was a prostitute at one time in her life. And not only is um, he a son of Rahab, right? But she will be mother of the son of God in the sense of his uh, human ancestry. So yeah, your text says whose mother was Rahab. Wow. Jesus comes to rescue those condemned to die. Jesus himself will say, I came to set the captives free. I came not to judge the world, but to save it, right? To provide a refuge from death, wrath, and judgment. This is the story. This is the story. You're born into a condemned city, the world, on the wide road that leads to destruction that many go in. But Jesus came to open a way of escape. And Herod will mock Jesus in Matthew 27 and put a scarlet robe of many scarlet threats on the Savior, Rahab's boy, who was saved by the scarlet thread in the window, now saved by her own offspring, who wears the scarlet thread because he's headed for the cross with her sins on his shoulders. And he's not ashamed to call her family. This is my family. This is who I was baptized for. This is who I'm hanging here for. The son of Rahab, the son of God, saves the day for those who believe in him. Fast forward, not very much at all, because Boaz is going to marry, grow up, and marry a girl from the wrong side of the tracks, a Gentile girl, just like his mother was a Gentile girl, right? And so here we go with Ruth. Now, Ruth is honored in the word of God by having four chapters of the word of God devoted to her story. Ruth, a nobody, an outsider, somebody excluded, quote, excluded from the commonwealth and community of Israel, God's people, by God himself. He says, they're so wicked. I don't even want one of those Moabite men in my sanctuary for 10 generations. They were so wicked. They were throwing their kids into the fire. They, they were terrorists. It was awful. And so she's the daughter. 
she grew up there. She probably had some of those ideas ingrained in her in the early days. And so the story begins, as most of you know, with a couple who lived in Bethlehem who were starving to death because of a famine, and they get the bright idea to move to Moab, where God's sworn enemies live. Uh, it was kind of like a good risk, I guess, because they wanted to live and eat. Uh, So they leave the promised land and they go to modern-day Jordan is where Moab was and is, was. And so the two sons marry. Well, dad dies first. So now mom's left with two boys. And the two sons, instead of going home, the two sons marry two Moabite girls. And the two sons, 10 years into it, both get sick and both die. So now there's mom, Naomi, and you've got Orpah, girl, daughter-in-law number one, and you've got Ruth, Moabitess, daughter-in-law number two. Now, she says, I'm going home. I'm done with Moab. I think I've learned my lesson. I think God's trying to tell me, why don't you go home to the promised land? And so she says, I'm leaving now. And daughter-in-law number one, widowed and poor, Orpah, she goes back to her detestable gods. She's like, I like it here. I'm going to go back to my terrorist father and my terrorist brothers. And, and when I have a baby, I'll offer him to, God, uh, to Molech, their god. I'll throw him into the fire. That's Orpah. But Ruth says, oh, no, no. I've, I've seen enough from you, Naomi. I'm fa- I've fall- fallen in love with you and your God and your people. Where you go, I'm going. Where you live, I'm going to live. Where you die, I'm going to die. So Naomi <laughs> tried to dissuade her. But she couldn't do it to this Moabitess once in, right? And so they go back, this pathetic pair, back to the promised land. And Naomi's kind of bitter and just kind of paralyzed with poverty and fear and all of this. But Ruth, the foreigner, the condemned person, the outsider, she says, we got to do something. She goes panhandling in some guy's field, picking up the little gleanings of wheat that they've missed, right? And so she's doing her thing. But guess whose field she wandered in? By chance, what a coincidence. A family, distant relative whose name is Boaz, who's rich and wealthy. And so they meet some one day. She's got dirt. In it. I mean, it's a perfect movie, all right? She's got a dirty face and a little bit of sweat, and her clothes are looking like a widow who's poor. And she's just doing her best, and she's beautiful, and he's handsome, and they, you know, their eyes meet, and you know, the sun comes through the clouds, <laughs> the violins play, the angels sing, and the rest is history. There are some twists and turns in those four chapters for sure, but they get married. They get married, and they have a baby boy named Obed. This is now David's grandfather. Now, did this girl, Ruth, from the wrong side of the tracks, born into a family of the enemies of God and God's people, realize what her life could be? Here's the lesson. Ruth Ruth goes from being excluded and shunned to being included and honored in unspeakable ways. From rags to riches, from being empty to being full to overflowing. That's the story there. From bad blood... Oh, really bad blood, to really good blood, to royal blood. She is in the line of kings and queens. 
Jesus could have her eyes and look like her. That's how DNA is. It sticks around for a long time. That's an amazing thing. And from a world of sorrow to joy, unspeakable, full of glory, because Christ came into this world to join himself to people like her and people like you and people like me. That's the message. He didn't come looking. That he's a physician who comes to heal sick people. Even, even he will say to the Pharisees, oh, what are you always drawn to sinners and losers and, and bizarre freak shows? So, why? And he said, um, you know, doctors, they hang out with who? Healthy people? No. Go to a doctor's office. You'll see a lot of coughing, a lot of drooling, a lot of pain, a lot of uh, expressions on their face. Not so happy. I came to seek and save the lost. That's the message. So let's finish up with the wife of Uriah who got entangled in the royal line in a most ignoble way. And so we'll talk about Bathsheba, even though she's not mentioned, and she's probably not mentioned in the list, because it'll shock the Jewish men. And the Jewish men will say, Oy vey, I, uh, yeah, no, I'm done with this. Don't say her name, right? So he says her name by giving her dignity and pointing out the heinousness of David's sin against her true husband, Uriah. Uriah was one of the most trusted military officers, beloved man in Israel, uh, though he was a Gentile, and married to Bathsheba, a Gentile, a Hittite as well. And so um, King David's example there, his nefarious episode, he spots beautiful Bathsheba bathing from his rooftop sleeps with her, she becomes pregnant, they try to cover it up in the most unspeakable, heinous ways. The baby is born, has to die because of the consequences of their sordid, adulterous affair. So God brings down heavy chastisement, doesn't he? And he and his family are never quite the same. And so when prophet Nathan is sent by the Holy Spirit to rebuke him and to open his eyes, because he spent a year trying to cover things up, he wrote Psalm 32 that describes the pain and suffering of unconfessed sin there. And although uh, he tells him the terrible consequences of reaping what he had sown, David confesses and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And yeah, terrible consequences are going to come. And there's a list of them. They're terrible. They are. Sin, the wages of sin is death. And not just for you but for those around you who are sadly connected to you, not by their own choosing, probably. And so when he says, I've, I've sinned against the Lord, Nathan has this. You're not going to die. You're going to keep living because God has taken away your sins. Now, sweet forgiveness, a clean conscience, erasing of our guilt, not being defined by our worst deed, but by our best, how is that possible? <laughs> it's possible because David and Bathsheba's son are, is going to swallow up David's sin. The son is going to die. 
there for his ancestors, David and Bathsheba. For his crime, her shame, the family chaos, the whole terrible hot mess swallowed up on the cross of Calvary where Bathsheba's boy, the son of Mary, the son of God, hangs. The son of David is hanging on the cross for his father David's transgressions and his mother Bathsheba's indiscretions so that he can say, the Lord has taken away, removed your sins. Hebrews says, since we have flesh and blood, since we have flesh and blood, this is the reason that Christ had to be made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful intercessor in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people. So the reason God had to become one of us is because the, the currency in which we sinned brought death. Humans sinned and need a stand-in who is also a human but can't have sins of their own. Because how can a, a really good human being who has sins of his own pay and, and spring us out of debtor's prison when he's got his own debt? So he has to be perfectly human and perfectly God married together, and now this perfect human being, flesh and blood, he bleeds red, can say, I've got the goods, I've got the funds to lay down willingly my life as a sin offering, put all of their sins on my family tree, on me. So Jesus hangs on a tree for those in his family tree who are destined to die who need hope for the hopeless, rescue for the condemned, joy for the outsiders, forgiveness for sinners. It makes it possible to whosoever believes will find the same favor that Mary, a son, a daughter of, of David. She's in the line. And the angel says, you found favor in his sight because of Jesus' death. An angel, the Holy Spirit, God himself, will look at us who have joined into the family <laughs> and say, you have found favor with the Lord, favor in God's sight. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your family tree. And we find ourselves in that tree, God. And better yet... <laughs> We find ourselves related to you now, your love lavished upon us that we in that terrible family tree would find life and honor and favor with the Most High God. Thank you for coming into this sinful, sick, twisted, bizarre, shameful world where we all have skeletons in our closets, God, and not uh, be ashamed to have skeletons in your family tree, skeletons that you could redeem with your love. Thank you for that, that we can identify with you and be washed and new and redeemed. Because of Christmas, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. 
Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 